for those of you who, who don't know me, my name is Kirk Chalgren, and uh, actually, I, I actually have a routine here, so let's go through it. We're here today to talk about some uh, strategies to help y'all save on your taxes. So that's why we called this Beneficial Tax Strategies for Charitable Giving. Um, let's go to the next slide. So now here we are to my, my piece. I'll rec- uh, introduce myself, Kirk Chalgren, for those of you who don't know me. I've been going to, con- or I'm a certified public accountant, but that's super dangerous because you, then you probably think I know everything about taxes and I don't. <laughs> I know a little bit. So we have some professionals here to help us out where I fail. But uh, I am a CPA. I'm, I've been a member of the finance committee here at Countryside for about a year now. And I've been attending Countryside since 1992. How many of y'all were here in 1992? Anybody? A couple of y'all? Yeah. So a lot of new guys since 1992. That's pretty cool. The other guy that's going to be presenting. Hey, Diane. Hello. Hello, Ron. Is that right? I had 94, and then I fixed it to 92. Okay. You can't fact check every slide, okay? <laughs> yes, I was born, yes. <laughs> um, we also have Justin Hunter here. Give him a wave here. He's on the front. Um, he's a chartered financial analyst. Um, He's been a member of the finance committee here at Countryside since 2014. Is that okay, Vicky? <laughs> um, and he's attended Countryside since 1998. And yes, he was born then also. <laughs> and we do have some professionals here that are greatly appreciated to be here. We've got John Robinson. You want to lift up? There's John. He is a certified financial planner, and he's been doing that for three years and has been attending Countryside since 2021. And like I mentioned, um, these professionals are here in case y'all ask a question and I just don't know the answer. We're going to see if they can help us. The other one is Jesse Davis, who's sitting right next to John. He's been a certified financial planner for 12 years and has attended Countryside since 2016 with a baby on the way. And so I wanted to put a proverb in here. You know, we're a Bible church. We love the Bible, right? Um, Proverbs 21.5a says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage. And so um, I'm hoping today with the things we go over that um, y'all will see some of these um, strategies that we talk about um, in the end are are designed to lead y'all to advantage, you know, and and it does take some diligence and planning to go into it. But, you know, the great thing about the Bible here is it tells us if you're diligent and you, you plan things out, God tells us it leads to advantage. So we're hoping that's what happens here today. A couple things to note here. None of us want to sell you anything, which is good. We really just want to help you all understand some of these concepts. We're not going to give you our business card, you know, and, and try to sell you on the next greatest thing. We're, we're just here to, to help you um, understand some of the ways that you can take advantage of, of charitable giving. The other thing we talk about Anytime we're talking about charitable giving today or contributions, we're not just solely talking about um, monies you want to give to Countryside. These actually work for, you know, any 501c3 charity for the most part. Um, so we're not here, you know, <laughs> to, get, to get a bunch of money for Countryside, although we'd love that, but it's, it's for any charitable organization that you want to be a part of. These strategies work for them as well. The two main topics we're going to cover is called a qualified charitable distribution, and I'm going to take on that one. And the target audience for this one is 
um, those folks that have a traditional IRA, folks that are older than 70 and a half years old, and folks that are currently taking the standard deduction because it makes the most sense on your taxes to do that, and that you want to contribute money to a charity or charities, and you want to save money on taxes, right? So that's the target, target group for that first strategy. The second strategy, donor advised funds, is what Justin's gonna cover. And the target group for, um, or the target audience for that is if you plan to contribute cash, stock, or securities to charity or charities, and you've got highly appreciated securities, or you're not far off from itemizing deductions, this strategy can help you save in taxes. All right, well, before I start, would y'all mind just uh, let me lead us in prayer here before we get started. Dear Father, we're so grateful for uh, the opportunity to gather together here today and talk about um, ways to diligently plan for the finances you've given to us. Lord, we know that all things are in your realm of things that you care about for our lives, and that includes finances. We just thank you for just the opportunity we get to be together and, and talk about things that might help us and lead to advantage, as your word says. Just pray that you'd bless our time together and uh, just that it, we'd enjoy our time and, and ultimately honor you and for all the great things you've given to us and the benefits you offer to us uh, through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. <clears throat> okay, qual qualified charitable distributions. We're gonna talk about the players here. I teach four-year-olds, okay? So a lot of, you're gonna see that in, in how I think about <laughs> the slides that I make. Do we have a creative person in the group that wants to name our friends here? <laughs> no creativity here, huh? Nobody. My wife really wanted me to think of her creative name, and I didn't have one either. Let's call them Gene and Carmi. That's right. Gene and Carmi. <laughs> Gene and Carmi. All right, Gene's the guy, Carmi's the lady. Gene and Carmi are telling us we are 73 and 72 years old. We file our taxes jointly, and we don't itemize deductions. All right, so they're a great candidate for QCD. They also have a traditional IRA, so they've got monies in traditional IRA, and they have, in this case, we're going to have a church as the picture, but again, it can be any charity that you're interested in giving to, but We'll just have a church as the picture for something they love and they want to they charitably contribute towards. So I'm going to go back and explain the target, but I'm going to fill out one more bullet point. Again, to do a QCD, you must have a traditional IRA, but I will fill out with a couple more sub points. It can include a rollover IRA. It can include an inherited IRA or an SEP for inactive plans only. If you ask me what an SEP is, I will say, Jesse, what's an SEP? Or John, what's an SEP? If you have one, hopefully you know that you have that. Um, it's not eligible for a 401k, so that's important. And uh, last of all, QCDs can count as your required minimum distribution. So the government has set the age of 73. Once you get to age 73 and you do have an IRA, they're gonna make you start distributing on that, and it's called a required minimum distribution. So the important thing to understand is if you do opt to do a QCD, a qualified charitable distribution, it can count towards your required minimum distribution. There's a lot of acronyms, right? So uh, example, if, if the government 
or if your investment provider sends you, usually they'll send like in January a letter that says, okay, your, your required minimum distribution for this year is $7,000. And uh, you can opt to take that as a qualified charitable distribution and it will count as your required minimum distribution, okay? But the important thing to note is it doesn't have to be towards the required minimum distribution. You can still do a QCD and not have it count towards your RMD. So said another way, if you're 72 years old and you don't have to take an RMD yet, required minimum distribution, you can still do the qualified charitable distribution. Okay, I know that's a lot of acronyms. Did I lose anybody there? Are we good? So 70 and a half years old is when you're eligible to do a qualified charitable distribution. And 73 years old is whenever you must need to start taking out required minimum distribution. The year in which you turn 73? Okay. okay. The year in which you turn. And so the, the rest of these points we covered, but I just wanted to nail home these these bullet points got to be older than 70 and a half years old. Um, the standard deduction makes the most financial sense. You plan to contribute to one charity or many charities, and you want to save money. So I think Gene and Carmi are a great fit for this. Okay, so we're going to see what happens if Gene and Carmi opt to not take their qualified charitable distribution. We're going to see how that looks on their taxes, and then we're going to see what happens if they did opt to do it and how that affected their taxes. So Gene and Carmi have got money in their traditional IRA, and they are going to take a distribution on it. <coughs> and when they do that, it's taxable income, so they're going to be taxed on that money. And then they've got other monies, you know, that they want to give towards the charity, so they give to their charity out of their, out of their own pockets. And the important thing to note about that is, remember, they don't itemize their deductions, so they're just taking the standard deduction that the government gives them. So that uh, charitable, di uh, charitable distribution, charitable contribution does not really help them on their taxes. It's just, it obviously helps the charity. Glad they did it, but it doesn't help them on their taxes. So how it looks on their tax return is they've got that $10,000. Let's say that's what their amount was. $10,000 they gave to um, themselves. They distribute it from their IRA, and it actually counts as taxable income. So, uh, you know, after taking all their other incomes, they get down to income of $76,875. They get the standard deduction taken away, and then they're down to 48175 of taxable income. And then they apply the, the rates that, you know, based on their brackets, and they come down to a tax amount of $5,575. And y'all, we got to remember that number, okay? I did write it down later, but just remember it, okay? 5575 is what they owe because they took that IRA distribution directly to themselves. So let's take a look at what happens when they donate utilizing the qualified charitable distribution, okay? So Gene and Carmi are still a happy couple. Still got their IRA money. They still have the, the charity that they love, but they reach out to their investment provider and they say, I'd like for you to distribute that money directly to the charity that I'd like you to distribute it to. And so what happens is that money goes directly to the charity. And the great thing about that is it's not taxable. So you get tax savings on that. Pretty cool, right? 
How many of y'all have heard about this before? Raise them high. Okay. How many have you not heard about it? See, awesome. So even if we get just one, right, it's great. So on their tax returns, how it looks differently now is they don't, they don't report the, oops, I already did, had a pointer for that. They don't report, the, report that distribution as income. So in effect, it lowers their uh, adjusted gross income. Note the standard deduction is the exact same number. That doesn't change in either scenario, so it really just lowers their taxable amount. And so then the tax on that now goes down to $4,375. So you didn't really have to remember the number because here they are. You've got the scenario here on the left where they didn't take it as a QCD. Remember where they just took the money directly to themselves and then they gave their own money to the charity? $10,000 in both scenarios, right? They gave $10,000 to the charity in both scenarios. But what happened in that first scenario is their taxes, was it, was it $5,575? But in the qualified charitable distribution scenario, their tax liability was now $4,375, a savings of $1,200. So, you know, pretty good, right? I'll, I'll just be, <laughs> I'll just be, you know, uh, Personal, I helped my dad with his taxes, and th when this came out, I said, Dad, this is, you know, we should do this, right? Like, and for a couple years, we were doing it, and a couple years into it, I was like, is this worth it? Like, you know, it is a little extra effort just to think about, and then I did these numbers, and I was like, yeah, it's definitely worth it. I mean, you're, you're saving money. The good thing to note, and I'll, and I'll underscore it later, is that the charity still gets the exact same amount of money. You're not hurting the charity at all. They're still getting the exact same amount of money. You're just saving taxes on it. So I can see the excitement on all y'all's faces. <laughs> Did you have a question, a bona fide question? Yeah, that's true, I know. And then we'll have to meet again, right? <clears throat> okay, so... A couple other benefits, because I, you know, I was asking as I was making these slides, like, would I even want to do this? Even if I am itemizing, even if I have more, um, say you, you give a, f well, say, this is what I'm getting not into my realm, but there's a lot of stuff you can itemize on your taxes, right? There's like mortgage interest, there's uh, sales tax, there's, you know, charitable. Let's say that you're already above the the standard deduction and would you still be interested in doing this and I'd say you should look into it because what it does is it lowers your adjusted gross income and that's a number that is used in a lot of different places that can hurt or help you if you get a lower number it helps you so you know y'all know Gary Dunlap okay he gave this job to me today <laughs> he probably would be able to explain it better but he said make sure you underscore these points and don't just skim over them so I'm here to tell you, Gary Dunlap says these are very helpful things, okay? So if, if um, point is, if you can get your AGI lower, it'll help you in this instance. Um, there's a Medicare high income surcharge if your AGI is more than 97,000 for a single person and 194,000 for a married person. So maybe you're at 198 or something without a QCD. And then you can, oh, well, if I take a QCD, I'm going to get dropped down below that 194. You will also save in, in tax dollars as well in that situation. And then also a lower AGI helps you on your social security benefits as well. That's, okay, so we're recording this, so I'm gonna ask the question again. The question is, can you do a QCD 
only when you're over 70 and a half years of age, right? Yeah. And the question is, you can only do it after you're 70 and a half years of age. Excellent. Excellent question. So when you do take, okay, the question was, um, when you take a QCD, how does that affect your Schedule A, right? Is that a good summary of your question? Yeah. yeah. How does it affect your Schedule A when you take a QCD? It does not go on your Schedule A anymore. Did I say that right, guys? Yep. Seeing nod head from the professionals? Yeah, it doesn't go on your, uh, it, you can't itemize those anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it helps you itemize, right, if you have those high medical expenses, yeah. A couple other items to note, the max QCD per year is $100,000 per person, and so if you're married, that you can double it up to 200000 The charity must be a 501c3 organization, and importantly, the fund transfer must be directly from the investment provider to the charity, so what that typically means is um, the check is written to the charity, um, can't be written to you once it's once that check's got your name on it it's taxable income to you so most of the investment providers will understand that you don't have to tell them hey make sure you write it out to the charity like they'll already know that um, but I did want to take real quick to just um, another personal experience that your investment provider there is a chance that your investment provider is not the greatest at these things I would guess if you're using you know Fidelity, Schwab, Vanguard, uh, the, the big ones, they are very good at this. You may have a small IRA company, I'm saying from personal experience, where they didn't do it that well. So, like, um, they didn't send it to the charity, and, I, you know, we didn't know. Um, so, you, you, can, you can ask them to send the check to you so that you know that they wrote the check, and then you can forward it on to the charity. But the check was written to the charity. I'm only telling you all that just in case there's some people in here that may have an IRA company that maybe isn't as well known, and maybe when you tell them, hey, can I do a qualified charitable distribution? And they're like, uh, what's that? You know, like, you should probably monitor them a little more than the bigger guys that are, yeah, we got a, we got a process for that. Yes, Vicki. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, when you give to a charity, it goes, if you, if you, if your charitable distribution or contributions go higher than the standard deduction, it definitely saves you on your taxes. But that's a great segue because Justin Hunter is going to tell us even more about yes, along those lines. I think. Okay, so a couple next steps. If you have a 401k, remember we said earlier you can't do it straight out of a 401k. You can roll roll over your 401k into an IRA, and, and once you do that, you then can do a QCD from that IRA. Um, if a QCD, if you're listening to this and it makes sense to you, um, contact your investment provider. Like I say, I would just kind of feel it out. And if, do they understand how this works? And if they're, they've got a great process, I'd feel pretty good about it. If they're a smaller IRA, I'd kind of, like I say, with mine, I, I told them, please send it to us <laughs> and then we'll send it on. That way we knew it happened. Um, but you do need to make the QCD before the end of the year. This is not one of those things. In some cases, the government lets you do stuff like after year end and count it towards last year's. That's not how this one works. You have to do it by the end of the year for it to count on this year's tax returns. So I did put a bullet point on here. If, you, if you're like, man, can I get it on my 2022 return? Maybe you haven't done it yet or you filed an extension. You can't do anything now that'll help you on your 2022 return. This would just be for your 2023 return. <laughs> Good call, yeah. I would say that's a great practice, yes, um, how would you say that's a great wisdom yeah I mean d don't send it on December 29th and and hope that you get it I would do it early right 
the question for the internet was, or the, the, the wisdom for the internet was do it in October or earlier than right at the end of the year so you get it credited this year. Yes, sir. So the question was when does the organization that receive it, when do they count it on which year's tax return, basically? I'm saying that for these people to hear. We were actually just talking about that before here, and it's funny because you do got to split hairs sometimes. I would go back to Mr. Brabon and say, do it early just so you can avoid this, but um, John, do you want to say what you're telling me before? Stick with the general wisdom of, you can do QCD before RMD. So if you're seven, like Diane, perfect. You're in between those ages. You're in between 70 and a half and 73. Remember, you don't have to take an RMD yet, but you still can do a QCD. You can delay. You don't have to do a QCD either. You can wait till you have to do an RMD and then count that a QCD. And then there's ABCs and one, two, threes. There's a lot of acronyms. But yeah, you don't have to take a QCD, but you cannot take it until you're 70 and a half. But then you must take your RMD when you're 73. And remember, you can count that RMD as your, or you can count a QCD as your RMD. <laughs> okay, so the question for the internet was, can you direct a QCD to a donor-advised fund? And the answer was no, from the professionals. Not at this point, right? Not in the current laws. Yeah, they do. Well, w I thought this would take five minutes, and it took 30 minutes. So we, we do got <laughs> we, we should get going here. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, so the church has a little bit of a, a burden in this to not count those QCDs as something you can deduct on your taxes. And that's what Cindy's talking about. All right, so I just wanted to again note here, Gene and Carmen are happy because they, the charities that they wanted to still got the full pop, no issues to the charity, but they did save on taxes. So just wanted to kind of final finish with that. Charity still gets the same amount of money. It's just you save on taxes. So that's why it's such a great thing. Um, we do want to get to the next one, but are there any other questions y'all want? If, if now is not a good time, we're going to make ourselves available after. You can come talk to us individually. But are, are we ready to move on here? Good. All right, Mr. Hunter. Test, test. Okay, first time wearing one of these, so hopefully all goes according to plan. Um, one thing on the QCDs I would note is Kirk and I both, um, in addition to the finance committee, we both also serve in another way where we kind of do some church accounting around the giving, and that would be very helpful, as Cindy noted, if uh, it was kind of clearly marked if it was a QCD because we have to kind of denote, as Kirk mentioned, whether it's deductible or not, and sometimes it's not entirely clear, and that makes our job a little bit uh, more difficult. So a little bit of a self-serving comment there, but um, that would be appreciated. So as Kirk mentioned, I've uh, been at Countryside since the late 90s. It feels like forever, but not quite as long as Kirk and all of the Chalgren family singers have been here, um, but served on the Finance Committee since 2014, um, it's been a real blessing for me. Um, that kind of process started just out of some general curiosity, but it's been a great time and seeing the care and diligence and um, consideration and just intelligence that, that those folks take for each matter. It's been uh, encouraging to me and um, just seeing some, some fun projects along the way too with the children's building and the worship center, um, land purchases, church plants, things like that. So it's been a real blessing. Thankful for those guys. Um, did anybody get an email about this meeting? I didn't even see that email. It was forwarded to me from my mom, and I just wanted to clarify one comment. <laughs> um, 
I think in, this, in the email, if you read it, it said that this section was really only for those who've itemized their deductions. That's not entirely accurate. There are elements to donor-advised funds that are beneficial even those for even those who don't itemize. So I didn't want everybody to kind of turn their brains off and stop listening to me if you think you only take standard deductions all the time. There are still applications here, um, even if you don't. So we'll cover those. All right. Donor-advised funds. Sometimes these are also uh, known as charitable gift funds. You may hear that every now and then. So what are they? A donor-advised fund is just a charitable investment account where you can deposit assets for charity uh, that you can donate immediately or over time. Okay? How do they work? So after you set up your account, which is pretty, pretty seamless, pretty quick and easy, uh, you would give or contribute to the account uh, typically through a direct transfer. You donate cash, stocks, or other assets, and then your contribution is eligible for an immediate tax deduction at the, at the, in the year that your gift is made. Okay, I'll cover here in a minute uh, what types of assets are, are eligible for contribution, um, but that's, that's the first step. The second step would be you can then grow, you can grow your assets. I say can, and there's a little hedging going on here. Um, while you decide which charity you want to support, your assets can grow tax-free. I say can because not all investments go up in value. It's no guarantee of, of positive returns. But if they do go up in value, then, you will, then they will grow tax-free. Okay, and we'll, we'll cover how that works here in a second. And then the third, the third step would be just to grant out of the fund to your um, chosen charities um, which charities you want to give to, how much you want to give, and as I said at the beginning, it can be all immediate or it can be done over time kind of as you normally would, okay? Okay, so I'm going to cover a couple kind of common users of donor-advised funds. There are more than more, you know, users than these. These are just two that kind of jump off the top of my head, and Jesse and John may have some others that they may throw out there. But the first one is someone who has, who wants to give to a charity, and they have a highly appreciated asset. So they they bought it into a st you know a stock or a mutual fund or whatever um, you know years ago I say years because it needs to be a long term asset more than hold it for more than one year for for this discussion here um, and it's gone up in value okay so when an asset goes up in value and you've held it for longer than a year and you want to get rid of it does anybody know what you have to pay it's a tax capital gains tax right and so depending on your income level that can range from fifteen percent north of twenty percent. Okay, um, so rather than sell the asset uh, and then pay capital gains tax and then give the remainder, the after-tax value, uh, what would be now cash, give that to charity. Rather than do that, you can donate the asset to a donor-advised fund, okay? You get the tax deduc deduction in that year for the full market value of the asset, not just the after-tax uh, portion. And then you can grant those proceeds to the charity of your choice, as I said, immediately all at once or periodically over time. You can, you can cut it up and donate it over however many years you want in whatever in increments, okay? So what are the benefits of this? As I mentioned, you get an immediate tax deduction for the full market value of the asset, okay? Uh, you don't have to pay capital gains tax now, which is very good, right? So if it's in a taxable account, you liquidate the asset, you gotta pay that cap gains tax. You donate it to the donor advised fund, you now don't have to pay cap gains tax on that, even when you liquidate it. Okay, so immediate savings there. Um, one, other, one other thing that I would note is um, it's also a way to rebalance a portfolio or get out of a highly appreciated asset. Like, 
For example, I know, um, I know folks who've gotten a lot of company stock for the company they work for. Maybe, they, maybe it's gone up in value. Maybe they just accumulated, accumulated that stock over years of time to where they now hold a lot more of, a, of one name than they really want, and it's kind of become um, a greater percentage of their overall portfolio. So this is kind of a diversification issue now. So they want to get out of that name and kind of diversify well, in a taxable account, you're going you're gonna to incur capital gains tax to do so, right? If you were already planning on giving, you could donate that name to the, f to the donor advised fund, diversify it that way without having to deal with the cap gains tax. Does that make sense? Uh, sure, go ahead. Uh, it's any amount. If it's a, if it's a realized gain um, and you've held it for longer than a year, if you have a realized gain on an asset, you're, you're going to have to pay a capital gains tax. The rate will be determined on your income level, but uh, any any gain, even even a little one, you're going to have to pay tax on. Yeah, and then you'll, your tax rate's your income tax rate. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Okay, we'll, we will cover a couple illustrations to show some numbers to these here in a second. Um, but I want to discuss another common user of donor advised funds. This is someone who, again, plans to, to give to charity. Um, they, their deductions are not quite enough to get to, the, to itemizing their deductions, so they're taking the standard deduction each year, but maybe they're getting a little bit close, and like I said, they do plan to give to charity. So rather than give the same amount each year uh, to the charity and continuously take the standard deduction, they can do something that's called bunching their giving, which means, let's say you give, you know, X amount of dollars every year uh, to your church or your charity. You can give multiple years of that amount to your donor advised fund. You get the full deduction in that year, which may put you over the uh, over the the limit into itemizing now, which allows you to save a little bit more on your taxes in that first year, and then take the standard deduction in in subsequent years, right? And as, uh, as I mentioned earlier, that doesn't mean that the charity gets all of that. Just because you gave, let's say, five years to the donor advised fund, that doesn't mean you give necessarily all of that money to your charity in that year. You can still give it out over the five years. You just get the deduction for the full amount in the year one. And again, I'll show an illustration to kind of put some numbers to that. Um, but that's essentially what's happening there. Okay? Good? Oops. I should have shown... Uh, this slide as I was just talking. Apologies, but that's everything I just said. Trust me. Um, a couple, a couple uh, things before we get to the uh, illustrations. What can be contributed? Um, like I mentioned, stocks, individual uh, equity names, mutual funds, bonds, cash, uh, things like that, privately held business interests. So this is like C-Corp, S-Corp, private stock, private equity, hedge fund interest, things like that. And then other non-public assets like uh, restricted stock, um, oil and gas royalties would be one, life insurance, crypto, um, things of that nature. Th these are all uh, asset types that can go into a donor advised fund. Uh, what is the cost? So most sponsors of the funds will charge an admin fee, um, typically in the half a percent, six tenths of a percent, something like that. Some go a little higher. Um, you would also have uh, typical um, uh, expenses that go with holding mutual funds, really no different than you would have if in, in any other kind of account, in, in an IRA or a, 
a taxable account. They, those funds come with expense ratios, and those can those can vary quite a bit. You know, for some active funds, um, you know, they can get close to a percent or more. Um, if you're if you're buying into passively run index funds, they can be almost free, right? Where it's you know only costing you a couple basis points or something um, as an expense ratio. So that part's variable, and it's like I said, really no different from the the expenses you incur for those outside of a donor advised fund. So it really, it's kind of just the um, six, uh, six tenths of a percent is is a good es estimate. But the important thing to know as far as the cost here is what what goes in is stay you know it stays in as far as your ability to spend it. It's irrevocable. You can't uh, contribute to a donor advised fund and then say, you know what, I wish I could take that back. I want that money back because I want to go you know, buy a car, or spend that money, however you want. Uh, you can't do that. Once it's gone into the fund, as far as your ability to spend it, it's gone. It may not have gone to the charity yet, but it's irrevocable and can't come back. So this really needs to be money that you plan on uh, donating to charity, okay? Okay, so let's cover a couple of illustrations. Um, okay, common user number one. This is the person with the highly appreciated asset. Okay, we'll call him Brad and Brooke. <clears throat> Let's say they bought $15,000 of XYZ stock five years ago. So this is a long-term asset. It's now worth $50,000. So it's, they've, they've done really well with this investment. Their income level puts them in the 24%, um, gives them a marginal tax rate of 24%, and they, uh, their income level uh, dictates that their capital gains rate is 15%. Okay, so in option one, they can sell XYZ stock, pay the capital gains tax, and then donate the remainder to their charity of choice, okay? So their, uh, their realized gain would be $35,000. 15% of that is the capital gains tax they're going to pay. That's $5,250, okay? That leaves $44,750 $44, left over that they can give to charity, Okay. Uh, take the the, uh, the tax benefit from that is uh, less the taxes that they already paid for capital gains is 5490 okay? So for option two, if they donated that stock, XYZ stock, to the donor advised fund, they now pay zero, ca uh, zero capital gains tax. They're able to donate the full $50,000 to their charity of choice, okay? And because now they're itemizing, they are able to get additional tax savings of uh, $12,000, okay? So the difference in the orange over here is uh, $5,250 difference in terms of what the charity will get. I would tell you, you can look at that kind of one of two ways. You can look at it as my charity now gets more money than they otherwise would have, and that money would have gone to the government, but instead it goes to my charity. Or you can look at it as if you're, you know, someone who kind of gives the same amount to your charity on a periodic basis, you can look at it as, I now have more money to give to charity. I can spread it over maybe one more year, and the money that would have gone to the government is really savings for me. Instead of my money, you know, being given to my charity over four or five years, now maybe I give it to the same amount of money that I would have given, but I'm now, now able to do it for five or six years, and the savings kind of goes to you. That's, that's kind of two ways I would look at it. It is, we see that, Cindy, you may know more about, or Steve, you guys may know more about this than me. I know that's happened here at Countryside quite a bit. Um, 
I think as far as tax treatment go, uh, I don't want to, you guys correct me if I misspeak here, but I think as far as your tax treatment go, that's the same as giving cash. The church is going to, if you give to the church, I know this for sure at Countryside, I can't speak for other charities, but if you gave uh, stock or mutual fund or something, some kind of other um, non-cash asset to Countryside, they're going to liquidate it immediately, okay? Then the tax benefit would go to you in that year in the same way it would as if it was cash. Okay, um, common user number two. Let's look at an illustration for them. Remember, this is the person who is close to itemizing their deductions, maybe. They've been taking the standard deduction, um, and, they, and they also want to give to charity. Uh, okay, so let's look at this scenario where we have Edwin and Maggie. Let's say they have an adjusted gross income of 300000 a 24% marginal tax rate. Let's say they give $15,000 annually to their church. When added to the $15,000 donation, the couple's total itemized deductions fall just short of the standard deduction of $25,900, okay? So their option for giving, option one would be to just continue giving that $15,000 each year. We'll look at five years here, just as an example. Remember, that the donation that, they're, that they are giving in addition to their other deductions are not enough to be itemizing, so they're just going to take the standard deduction in all five years, Okay. The total deductions for those five years, the 25.9 times five, is 129,500. Okay, so let's say alternatively, let's say they wanted to, to give $15,000 a year for five years, they take uh, five years worth of their giving, so $15,000 times five, so it's $75,000. Okay, the same amount they were otherwise going to give, they put the 75,000 into a donor advised fund. They're going to get the full. Um, the full deduction in that year, okay, that first year, let's say this was number was to make the, the, uh, the numbers be um, round and, and, and nice and easy, easy math here. Uh, let's say they had other deductions of 10900 in that first year. So they're going to have total of 85900 of deductions in that first year because they've got all five years worth of their giving in that first year that allows them to itemize in that first year and save more money on taxes, okay, because they're recognizing all five years worth of their giving in one year, okay. Uh, they're going to continue to take the standard deduction for the next four years. The total of the five years worth of deductions now is 189500 for a difference of 60000 You take that times their marginal tax rate of 24%, and you can see it's a little over $14,000 of savings in this example, okay. So just to, to reiterate, that doesn't mean just because they put 75000 five years worth of their giving into the fund in the first year, that doesn't mean that you know, their church or charity is getting $75,000 that year. They can do that, or they can still grant it out of the donor-advised fund, $15,000 a year for five years or in whatever increments or over what am whatever amount of time that they want. Okay? It, all it means is that that is now the year that you get your deduction for your giving. Does that make sense? Okay, great. Well, that's all I really have to share. Um, I think Kirk may have some more things to share, but I wanted to, to allow for any questions. And just one comment, um, you know, if you're asking yourself, is this for me, and you're thinking of your personal situation, you, you may not be comfortable sharing or asking that question in front of everybody because it may relate to your personal finances. Certainly you can find me after, um, or Kirk or one of these guys. Um, happy to Happy to chat through that with you, or if you don't want to do it here, you know, email us, whatever would be helpful.
But any other questions before we pass it back to Kirk? Yes. Yes. So I'm just going to repeat the question just for the folks at home or whatever. Uh, the question was the 75000 the year that it goes in, that's the year that you get your tax deduction for that seventy-five. You can continue to put more in in subsequent years, um, and you will then get another tax deduction for whatever you put in in those subsequent years. The deduction you're going to get in the year that you're going to get it is for whatever you contributed to the donor advised fund in that year. Not, it's not tied to the balance because, as I said, um, you can you can leave it. You can put a you know a large amount in there. Uh, up front, recognize, you know, the deduction in that year and give it over the next, you know, 20 years if you want, but you're only going to get the deduction in the year of the of the donation or the contribution. Does that make sense? Well, thanks for listening. This is, um, I'm impressed that there's this many people that are interested in this kind of stuff. Uh, people after my own heart and Kirk's, I know. So thank you for listening. Kirk, you want to yeah. come back and wrap this up? So I didn't want to promise y'all that we would have this last one just because I wanted to allow if we had enough time. So I'll try to be quick here. But we did want to just put a uh, plug in here for the new online giving that y'all have heard about. I'm sure if you've gone to uh, um, the big services is what we call it in preschool ministry. The big services the last couple weeks we've been um, promoing this. But uh, Mr. Armstrong here and Cindy and I hope I'm not leaving anyone else out, have done a great job of finding a, a better way that saves the church money on how um, we accept donations. So I wanted to quickly go through the process of how you make that switch and why, wh why it helps the church. Um, so why change? It is a lower credit card and ACH rate, and it lowers it by about 30 to 40%. And it also allows more options and control over your recurring giving and it's, it's very simple. I've, I've done it myself, and it's, it's just really easy to assign how you want to give and when you want to give. Um, what is changing? The online giving is through the church website. On the left side menu, you're going to see a picture in it. Next slide. Uh, or the church app. Introduced shortly, so next slide, yeah. The service provider is called BluePay. Uh, is our current credit services provider. Oh, I'm sorry. That's our current one. My, my, I'm sorry. BluePay is our current one. We're moving to Subsplash. And Subsplash offers the giver to pay for the processing fees as part of their giving. And if you opt to do that, it obviously just helps those fees go down for the church. So now we have steps here of how to do it. Um, if you have a current recurring giving, what you want to make sure you do, unless you want to just double up your giving, right, is you want, you want to go cancel that first one, right? So you come here to your schedule history. We've got an arrow there. Actually, the first step would be once you log in. Man, it's hard to get the pointer where I want it to go. Yeah, you're going to come here to giving. And then once you get into giving, you're going to come up here to schedules slash history. And then you're going to look at your current recurring gift. You hit cancel. Right? Again, unless you want to double it up. <laughs> step two. This is how you set up on the new system, the subsplash system. So on the Countryside webpage, there's a give link right underneath the resources on the left side. And then this page opens up, super easy. You can assign it whether you be one-time, weekly, monthly. And you just, I think I'm stealing my thunder here. Yeah. You tell it how often you want it, what amount, when you want it to start. Hit next. 
and then it's going to prompt you to sign up for a new account. So you can use your email to sign up. I think it sends you an email, right? So make sure it doesn't go to your, you know, make sure you're checking your junk mail, but you'll get an email from Subsplash confirming the setup of your account. And then you choose your payment method. Steve, I'm looking at you here. Correct me when I'm wrong. Yep, so for the people listening, uh, debit, credit card, or bank account. And then you choose the fund, so you're going to see a drop down for, you know, general giving, um, benevolence. I don't know all the ones that are in there, but those are the typical. You can choose which fund it goes to here at Countryside. Tell it how often, um, the amount, and then there's where you can choose if you want to cover the processing fee. And then you confirm the giving button on the bottom. And that is it. If you want to designate different monies for different accounts, you would just go through that process outside of the setting up an account. Once you've got the account set up, it's easy to go in there and just, if you want to designate some to general, then designate some to building fund, you just have to set an additional one up for each of those. And then if you want to manage or change your account or giving, there's this button up here at the top right once you're in there. So just to reiterate for the people listening, you can make recurring or one-time payments with this new subsplash system and make sure there's a distinction between if you're getting your bank to send a check to Countryside, that is not using the subsplash system. If you want to use the subsplash system, you'd have to log in, make your account, and then you're basically instructing subsplash to pull money out of your bank which is different than you telling your bank to write a check to Countryside. And just Hunter and I telling you, we, we do the counting every week where we have to designate people. Just plugging this out there. It is, it is very easier on us <laughs> to set up an online account and do it that way because, you know, we get checks sometimes and it's hard to know who wrote it and then it's where does this go, whose is it. Those types of things are virtually gone if you're doing through the online giving. We do not want to strong arm you into doing online giving. We're just throwing it out there. As it is helpful for the administration of the church if you do set up an online account and give in that respect. And I fully understand some people aren't comfortable with it. I'm not here to strong arm you. Just letting you. <laughs> if you're on the edge, that might help you maybe. Correct. So those listening in, if you do, if you do send from your bank, there is no fee on that other than the human effort <laughs> that we mentioned, which is free, right? We're, yeah. But yes, that is correct, Miss Covington. Yeah. So for those listening in, um, the question was, is there a fee on the credit card? The answer is yes. But with Subsplash, the fee is less because the more money that gets given into that platform, the, the bigger break on the fee that we get, whereas our old provider was just a flat higher fee. And I don't like reporting things that aren't correct, but we did run through this in our finance committee this last meeting, and it's, it's significant. I mean, it's, it's a decent change and, and savings to the church. Go, no, no, just going through subsplash in general. E even if you don't cover that fee, there, we're getting a better rate. But yes, we are getting some people opt to cover the fee, and then of course that you know also helps the church as well. But even if nobody opts for that, we still get... I think if I were to re-summarize for the people listening in is if you're in your 50s and 60s, 
the donor advised fund may be a scenario three that Mr. Hunter didn't have in his slides here, and it might be a good fit for you. Are there any other questions on any of the, um, any of the topics we covered here tonight, today? Well, I hope it was helpful, right? I hope it was able to help some of y'all, maybe all of y'all, but definitely appreciate um, this. If, if y'all have anything else that you might think, man, that'd be helpful if the finance committee covered um, this, or, or you come across something that might, you know, help a lot of us here at Countryside, we would love to do that. I mean, I love doing this. I, I can tell Hunter loves doing it. Um, we're, we're just here to help, and, uh, you know, we've, I myself personally have benefited a whole lot from Countryside, and the, the commitment we have to God's word, and um, I'm going to get emotional here, but, you know, um, just I, we want to give back. You know, we, we want to help. So if you all have anything, like I say, that we can help you with, we want to be a helpful committee to, the, to the, um, the folks that call Countryside home. So 